You are listening to the Entrust Podcast. This weekly course seeks to provide theological training within a ministry setting so you can take what you learn and share it with others. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. For now, here is this week's episode. All right, good evening, everybody. Hope you had a wonderful uh, afternoon full of rest or something important. Good to go. I'm going to pray for us. Uh, Hopefully you got your worksheet from the back, and we're going to get started. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we get. Uh, It's such a wonderful thing when we can gather together as your people, even on a Sunday evening, just to be able to open up your word and to discuss uh, yet again how we are going to uh, take uh, the leverage, the opportunities that you have given us so that we can share the gospel with those that we care about. So, Lord, I pray that uh, the result of maybe even this topic tonight would cause us to leave this place different and that there would be people who aren't in this room that would be impacted by the gospel, by the way that we live our lives, or intentional with them as we leave forward from here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be looking there in just a little bit. And uh, we want to talk about starting gospel conversations tonight. We've been walking through evangelism every Sunday night, this time talking through what does it mean to share the gospel with other people. And I want to go ahead and just start by talking about what is the most difficult part of a gospel conversation, and that is starting it, okay? That is the lump in your throat. That is the overwhelming sensation. Am I going to actually start talking about this? What's going to take place? How awkward can I sound? Whatever that may be. Because even when we understand the message of the gospel and the method we'd like to share, we can struggle to learn the best way to begin a conversation. Crossing the bridge into a spiritual conversation can be difficult, but it is much needed, right? And so to start that, uh, we've got to consider what do we have to do to get there. So a question for us to consider tonight is this. What would you say is the most difficult part of evangelism? Starting the conversation, the message itself, or calling for a response, okay? So if you think about it, I'm going to ask you in just a second around your table to give a few answers. Would you say... Just initiating the conversation, getting the thing going? Uh, is it actually sharing the gospel, the message itself? Or number three, is it saying, so are you ready to say yes to Jesus? Calling for that response, right? So I want you at your table, answer that question. A few of you answer. Which one is the most difficult part? Starting, message, or calling? On your mark, get set, go. Yeah. All right, folks. What was, how many of you said that it was starting the conversation's most difficult part? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you said the message itself? Raise your hand. How many of you would say calling for the response? Raise your hand. How many of you would say all of the above? Raise your hand. Okay, right. Uh, this can cause a lot of fear, right? But I think you guys proved tonight that just starting the conversation is difficult. Uh, I do know this about most of us. Starting a conversation about your favorite movie doesn't seem to scare us, right? Starting a conversation with your favorite restaurant doesn't intimidate a whole lot of people. I have noticed that uh, when it comes to Christmas time, strangers don't mind coming up and talking to kids and saying, what is Santa Claus going to bring you? Like they just, we don't have problems talking about certain things. Uh, You see, uh, let's just say that you are a Clemson fan. You can see a Clemson shirt and you can automatically like y'all spend Thanksgiving together, right? Okay. Uh, You can see somebody wearing a Gamecocks and all of a sudden you start, you know, drawing the line and wanting to fight. And the same is opposite is true, right? Okay. Um, You know, just random times. In fact, if you think about college football and just the state of South Carolina in general, not the school, let's just say the whole state, right? 
it's been a rough few weeks for us, okay, right? And so, like, if you're still wearing the colors, it's like, oh, you're committed. You know, you're not ashamed to say who you belong to. We have a real ease about starting a whole lot of conversations, but the most important one, we get choked up. We get nervous. We are looking for an opportunity. Sometimes we'll go, God, if you'll just open up a door. And he's like, what do you think all these things have been flinging in your face? Like, I've been opening the doors all over the place. It's not God opening the doors. It's us being willing to walk through them, right? When I was in college, uh, I was, uh, my summer job, I worked on the assembly line at Velux. We made skylights. Uh, and so I made the bottom sashes of the skylights every day and had this kind of hydraulic uh, dr uh, drill and would put these screws in and do this kind of stuff. And then I'd get another pallet of wood and we'd just work there all summer. Um, and I remember that there was this guy that worked right beside me uh, in the in our area of working on the windows. And my heart just kept saying, I need to share the gospel with this guy. But I just was too intimidated to do it. And also, I kind of have a rule. If it's really loud and you can't hear somebody and people have power tools that they could hurt you with, not always the easiest place to start a spiritual conversation, but I, I kept struggling with it. And so it'd be break time or lunch time. Like, oh, do I do I go after, do I start or whatever? Well, if you work on the assembly line for a summer, it's hard for you to understand talking with somebody. But if you have worked on the assembly line for two months or more, you start learning how to read lips. Like by the end of the summer, I can do this better. So people are like, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, yeah. And, they would just, and I'm sitting here the first month and I'm going, how can y'all communicate? Like I literally, I can't understand a word. And so one day, my friend who I've been thinking about sharing the gospel with comes up to me. And he's yelling at the top of his lungs. And I'm trying to discern what he's saying. And finally, I think that he says, have you ate? And I said, no, it's 1030. It's not lunchtime. He goes, no, are you saved? And I said, yeah, are you? And this is the response. No. And he walks off. And I, I was, whoa. So I'm over there yelling at him. I said, at lunch, you and I, we're going outside. We're talking, right? And I said, Bo, I said, what was that? He said, well, he said, I've been thinking about following Jesus uh, but I was looking for somebody to talk to, but I just didn't know who to talk to. I was like, oh, shame on me. Um, and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, um, I think I know what it means to follow Jesus, but I don't know if I'm ready to give up my lifestyle with my girl right now. And I said, unpack that. Here's what I understood that day in our conversation. He probably got following Jesus and better than a whole lot of people did because a lot of people think, oh, I'm just going to say I follow Jesus and no part of my life is going to change. And this fellow knew if I say yes, everything changes, right? He knew that. And so in the middle of this lunch, after knowing him for about four weeks at this time, I am trying to convince him that Jesus Christ is the most important thing in my life. And yet I haven't brought him up for the last four weeks. And you see how that kind of puts me in a bad spot to start the conversation with? Not only start, who started the conversation? He did. I didn't even start it. He comes up to me as an unsaved person going, are you saved? And I'm like, yeah, why is that coming? And he basically goes, I just kind of wanted to know a Christian and ask him some questions, right? And so, so with this, I, I went back over and over and I thought, I'm now behind the eight ball. and I'm trying to get to a place where I can try to convince him, hey, he's the most important thing. Just recently, a uh, a neighbor that I have realized I probably had four conversations around the neighborhood. I've not had a spiritual conversation with, and I'm sitting there going like now on the fifth time, it's like, I I've always felt this complexity and see if you know this, if you have a new friend, a new neighbor, a new coworker, you probably don't want to go, Hey, my name's Travis. Nice to meet you. By the way, if you died tonight, are you going to spend eternity in hell? That might be too soon, right? 
but also two years might be too long, right? Like there's got to be some way of you discerning like when's the right time. And then not only that, like in relationships, it's one thing, but sometimes you know, I, I got five minutes with this person. Do I want to... Do I want to share a gospel seed? Do I want to water what's there? Do I, like, what, how am I supposed to respond? And so this is what I want to do, some biblical considerations to look at. In Acts chapter 8, the church is just starting to blow up uh, in, a, in a good way. Um, Paul has started persecuting Christians, and that's the only reason why the Christians did what God had asked them to do. He said, start in Jerusalem and start moving out. And you know what they did? Stayed in Jerusalem. And he goes, I'll help you. So persecution came on the church, and guess what they started doing? They started moving. And they started moving out. And so we get to this place in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26, where there is a conversion of somebody from Ethiopia that happens to be traveling by uh, one of uh, the early church leaders. So verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Canaan's, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. And the spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. All right, let's pause there for a second. Um. When we see verse 26, an angel saying something, we see in verse 29, the spirit telling Philip something very specific. Um, that seems so clear and how I think that God should talk to me every day. I want to hear an audible voice saying, get up, go to aisle number seven of the checkout and talk to that guy right there, right? Go across the neighborhood and go to that. Like, I want specific instructions. How do I receive that? It's occasional. And and here's occasionally how I feel like. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like God pulls into your attention somebody who just looks broken? And you don't know why. You may not even know them, but you feel like, I need to go and try to encourage this person right now. And you go, that's crazy. I don't know them. And you go, is that the spirit or common sense? I don't know. But I'll say this. You might want to follow that leading. Because if you feel like in your heart, let me do something uncomfortable to hopefully offer hope to somebody else, I don't think that's the devil encouraging you to do that, right? I think that's the Lord prompting you. And so when we're thinking about it, like Philip is on the move, this is what I'd encourage you to do. Ask God for wisdom and opportunities. First and foremost, if you want to think about starting gospel conversations, start by asking God for the wisdom and for opportunities. So one is, Paul would often pray, God, I'm asking for an open door for the gospel. And what I have found is that every time that God, if we ask God for an open door, you know what he'll do? He will open it. And sometimes you go, I didn't mean that soon. I didn't mean it that way. I didn't mean with that person. He said, no, 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 you asked for an open door and the door's open. It's there. Um, ask God for wisdom you ask them for opportunities. When the opportunities come, God, give me the wisdom of knowing how to do this. And did you catch when Philip came along this guy from Ethiopia traveling, and Philip listens to him, and, and what is he doing? He's reading the book of Isaiah out loud. And Philip goes, I know that book. Wait a minute. He's reading Isaiah. 
So follow. Philip knew the scriptures so that he could identify with them, right? I know the scriptures. Okay, let, let me step in and, and let me go along with it. So this is what happens next. Look at verse 30. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, I know this story is not how this always happens, but wouldn't that be great? Hey, I see that you're reading the Bible. Do you understand it? I can't understand it unless somebody teaches me. Will you come up here and teach me? Like, is this a trick? Like, could this happen? Now, one thing I, I do want to mention about um, the book of Acts. Book of Acts, 28 chapters, covers a span of a few decades, really. Um, there's a lot of Peter and Paul and different people doing different things. And this book, if you really think about it, only has a few handfuls of stories of how God's spirit worked through the early church leaders. Why do I say that? I don't know if this is what Philip's every day looked like. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if this was a Tuesday for Philip and on Wednesday, God says, and go over here. And Thursday was God to go over there. Like in the same way, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you think about Jesus' life, there's a lot of content in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? But there's a lot of stuff we don't know about. If you add up all the events that happen in the life of Jesus that we know about, we got a few weeks of 33 years of life. So what am I saying? I don't know if there was ever a day where Jesus wasn't helping somebody, but there may have been days where Jesus did things that apparently the gospel writers didn't think was worth writing down. There were things that happened in the early church that nobody ever thought needed to be write, written down in the book of Acts. You know what I'm trying to get at? There are some days serving Jesus that a whole lot of miraculous things don't happen. But every so often of just saying yes every single day, something like this does turn up. And so what I want to say is I think a lot of times people are saying, I'm waiting for an angel to show up and say, go over there. I'm waiting for an audible voice to hear this. And I'm just saying sometimes it's just getting up in the morning and showing up for work for King Jesus and saying, I'm available. Like that's where it's got to start. And sometimes moments happen like this. I can think through of two times in my life probably where I felt clearly God saying, get up from this place and go over to this spot and trust me. Only two times I feel like the Spirit of God had led me to do that. That is not a normal day for me, okay? But I know this. It was so clear that I needed to get up and get moving, and God showed himself faithful. But you know what happened between those two days? About 10 years of, I, I think this is right. I think this is where I'm supposed to be. So when you look at this story, I want you to be encouraged but not be overwhelmed by it. That doesn't happen to me. I don't know if that happened to Philip every single day either. But at this moment, he was ready. So you want to respond to the Lord's calling to share when it happens, right? So when God gives you that opportunity, Philip says, okay, I'm going to be ready. If I've prayed for an opportunity and God gives me the opportunity, I better do something with it, right? Let me respond. So Philip is willing to run alongside a chariot. Some of you are like running. I'm already out. Okay, okay. that may not be what he calls you to do, but come alongside this person and ask him a simple question, right? Philip didn't start out going, you're reading Isaiah, but do you know Isaiah says you're going to burn? Like he doesn't start there. He goes, hey, do you know what you're under, do you understand what you're reading? Which the guy could have said, yeah, I do. And they could have explained something. Um, 
I'll be honest, there was a guy recently who came to uh, my house to share the gospel with me and to invite me to church. He goes to a Baptist church down the road, and I said, brother, thank you so much for being concerned about my salvation. I want to say thank you. Nobody else has checked to see if I'm saved all day long. So thank you for that. I want to say thank you. Uh, and, and it was something. So I say that to go, what if Philip would have gone, do you understand what you're reading? And the guy said, of course I do. I'm a pastor. Oh, well, praise the Lord. Okay, right? What, what did that do? Um, I'll be honest that sometimes when I've had people share the gospel with me, even though I'm a Christian, you know what it's encouraged me to do? Who have I done that to recently? You know, so if you go to somebody and they go, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, I'm a this, well, praise the Lord, right? We can talk about it, but that doesn't mean like I need to figure out who is and who's not. Just respond when the Lord gives you opportunities to share, go after it. So then look at um, verse 32. It says, um, uh, verse 32 says, uh, now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as the lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation for his life is taken from the earth? The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Well, there you go, right? He's reading about a prophecy of Isaiah that's speaking about the coming Messiah that Philip knows by name, and the guy goes, so who's he talking about? And Philip is going, I can tell you, and how could? Study now so you will be prepared later. Study now so you will be prepared later. Um, I can't overemphasize this, that there are many times that I've been kicking myself. I should have been more prepared at this moment. Now, with this, I also want you to know, if you wait till you are prepared to start sharing the gospel, you'll never share the gospel. We always have a, if I'll just learn a little bit more, if I'll experience just a little bit more, then I'll start doing this. But I will say that the more that you are studying God's word, if somebody's reading Isaiah and they go, who's that talking about? You can speak to. Um, I'll give you an example of how this has happened in my life. Um, a few years ago, Jehovah's Witness showed up at my house, and uh, I did not let them know that I was a pastor at first. I just kind of, hey, you want to sit down and talk? Yeah, I love talking about spiritual stuff. I'm really, okay, sit down and talk with me, right? And um, they started... Uh, sharing different things from the scriptures. And one of it was, uh, he says, well, you know, Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, uh, if anyone wants to come after me, he must take up his torture stake and follow me. Now, you may not know that that's Luke 9, 23, but does anything sound odd to you in that verse? Torture stake, right? You know, that, that doesn't sound, you know, yeah, we read the Bible. I go, what was that you said again? I said, torture stake. I said, I've, I've never heard it like that before. Can you explain what that means? Well, he starts explaining that in their belief, they don't think it was a cross, it was a torture stake, that that's how they name it. And so I started asking other questions about it. And so I started realizing, okay, so in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I, as soon as they talk, I should have read up on the beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses and the questions to ask so that I know how to argue with them and debate with them, whatever. And I was not prepared. But you know what I did know? I knew Luke 9, 23, and that wasn't it, okay? Like, so I said, now, let me ask something. When was, when was that scripture written? Can you, can you look and where it was written? What was written? Oh, because I, and so I'm, I am playing a little dumb here. I was like, you know, like, I've always heard people say, if you take up my cross, like, why would it, why would they say that in one train? Well, 
Because, you know, people have messed up the scriptures, blah, blah, blah. You know, and these scriptures, they don't even talk about the Lord and what. I was like, they don't talk about the Lord. Well, no, the Lord gave himself a name, and it was Jehovah. And, and they don't even use his name. And, and, you're, and, and Christian churches and Baptist churches, like, you know, around here. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, they don't even use God's name. I said, well, what's the name they use? Like, they use Jehovah. I said, well, that's interesting because one time I, I took a Hebrew class in college. I know it's weird. But did you know that they actually, there's no J in their alphabet? Like, there's no way to say Jehovah. You can't say Jehovah. Like, in fact, they're like, what are you talking about? I said, well, turn to Psalm 150, right? And he turns to Psalm 150, and it says, praise the Lord, and it says, hallelujah. I said, can you read that word? He said, hallelujah. I said, why didn't you say hallelujah? He goes, huh? I said, that's the way it's written. I would have said hallelujah. He goes, no, it's hallelujah. I said, why? He goes, I don't know. That's why you say it, because there's no J in that alphabet. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, maybe you've been misled by somebody deep down in your faith. And so I said, can you also turn over to Matthew chapter 14? It says that the disciples, when Jesus calmed the water, it said that they worshiped him. What does your Bible say? It doesn't say that they worshiped him. I said, what does it say? They paid respect to him. I said, that's a big difference. I can pay respect to authority or a teacher or a doctor, but I only worship one person. Why would your translation want to change that it, they worship Jesus in this? Granted to say over the next few weeks, they kept, forbidding other Jehovah's Witnesses to come back to my house. I got blacklisted, and they would not send anybody else over there towards me. I even wrote letters. I am asking for more to come to my house. I got this, the chair set up, and I say all that to go, I, didn't, I did not know Jehovah's Witness faith the way that I wanted to, but I did know the Scripture. And when you hear error, it can alert your mind. That, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, right? What is Philip doing? Philip did not know that day that he needed to have studied Isaiah, but I guarantee he was thankful he had been. He was thankful he had studied Isaiah because when the opportunity presented itself, I believe this, what John chapter 14, verse 26 says, Jesus said, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he's going to teach you all things, and listen to this, and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. You ever had a moment in life where all of a sudden Bible verses popped into your mind? Like, where did that come from? Holy Spirit. That's where it came from. But I will say this, the Holy Spirit can bring up scripture to your memory, but it needs to be in your mind in the first place. You need to have read it. You need to have studied it. Spirit is going to utilize what you've got deposited in there. So when Philip's having this experience, like he's heard it, right? He knows. And it's unbelievable what takes place here because when the eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, Who's the prophet saying this about himself or someone else? Verse 35, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with what? That scripture. Okay, this is where you are. I'm a, this is what the old preacher used to say. You take any text and make a beeline to the cross, okay? As some passage of scripture, let me work towards Jesus, right? Like that's what he did. And so this is what I think is beautiful for us to see. If you think about it, the Lord is already working before we get involved. Anybody you share the gospel with, the Lord is working. Have you ever talked with somebody who grew up in church but walked away from the church? Most people that I share the gospel with, there is a grandmama, an uncle, a pastor, or a friend who's been praying for that person for a long time. In fact, the guy who discipled me in college said, whenever you share the gospel with somebody, always remember somewhere there's a grandmama praying, okay? There's a grandma, and you're, you're part of this, with this. Um, I have learned that the Lord is oftentimes working before we ever get involved. Um, I went one time on a mission trip 
where a missionary dropped us out of a van, drew a line in the desert sand, and said, no missionary has ever crossed this line. You guys are pioneers, and you were going to speak the name of Jesus to this tribe of people, and they've never heard before. I'll come pick you up in a couple of days. Well, man, I'm thinking, like, I'm the pioneer, man. They're going to be writing books about me. I, I walk across that line in the desert. I'm walking out there. I show up to this village, and the first thing out of their mouth, oh, are you guys missionaries of Jesus? And I went, what? I thought we were the first ones. He's like, no, there's somebody that came last year. I'm like, are you kidding me, right? Like, I thought we were the pioneers. And sometimes, folks, it's amazing. God actually has been working before we ever got involved, right? God's been working before we were ever born. God's work's not dependent upon us. He's not been waiting around on us. If we drop the ball, somebody else will pick it up. That's how God works. So whenever God's inviting us to evangelize, to share the gospel, he's not dependent on us. It's not desperation on his part. It's an invitation that he's saying, come along, be a part of what's going on. Just, just for, look, look what happens. Philip starts with the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture, verse 36. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. Eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Azotus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Folks, that's a pretty cool day, okay? I would love that to be my Monday. I ain't going to lie to you, okay? Come up with somebody that's reading the Bible. I don't understand this. I do. Let me point. Hey, there's a pool. Can I get baptized? Come on. Let's do this, right? And then the Lord takes me on to that next assignment. And that may happen, but I want you to see in, in what happened with Philip. He just started where the person was, right? Um, most evangelism practices and uh, techniques, if you will, have a programmed approach of, I'm going to ask you these questions, but I have realized that people are in a very different place. So if you were to start talking to someone who does not know Jesus, there's a lot of ground you got to cover versus somebody who grew up in church and has not been walking with them, right? It's a different conversation. So your first thing is kind of assess where people are and to figure out how you can start building bridges. So when you start meeting with people, here's how we start gospel conversations. Think about it this way. Learn to use bridges to link your current conversation to a spiritual one. Learn to use bridges to link your current conversation to a spiritual one. So in your ongoing opportunities, you're in a conversation how can you change the trajectory of the conversation without being awkward, without feeling like it's whiplash on somebody? Um, once again, in conviction a few weeks ago, I felt this need or neighbor that I had not even told I'm a pastor, that I'm not a follower. I haven't told I was a follower of Jesus, hadn't started the spiritual conversation. When me and my wife were on the walk, it's like we keep popping in this person, and they start talking about something in their family, and this is what I did just to start it. I didn't go, by the way, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I believe you're going to spend eternity somewhere forever, and I don't want you to burn. I, I didn't start there. I could have, but this is what I said. Oh, that situation going on in your family? You know there's somebody in my church that's going through exactly like that. Now, what did that do? It alerted them to the fact that, oh, you're, you're one of those folks. <laughs> and then I started saying, you know, in the situation was, we realized this person was, didn't have a whole lot of hope, and so we kind of rallied around this person trying to start – and what I'm trying to do is take the situation they're talking about, not beating them over the head, but start getting the conversation into spiritual ones. Uh, another neighbor recently 
uh, this is a couple of years ago now, developed a relationship with a guy who uh, just started asking the question, yeah, I'm a pastor. Do you go to church? Well, we used to, but, you know, with kids and COVID and stuff. I'm just like, yeah, I, I get it. Um, have you ever thought, and just start the conversations. I wasn't, like, down on them. So, like, when when <laughs> when he's, he saw me uh, even today pulling out for church, and I can tell he, he ain't dressed for church. He's like, I'm like, hey, I don't want him to feel awkward. I'm like, hey, Warren, brother, how you doing? You know, whatever. But I can remember a moment where he reached out to me and sent me a text message and said, hey, you told me you're a pastor and that you help people. How would you help uh, if you knew a couple in this neighborhood that was struggling in their marriage, what would you do? And I said, well, without knowing who this couple is, right, okay, this is how I would do. And I would want my neighbor to know that if I could sit down and talk with him and his spouse, I'd be more than willing to help out. Just trying to take those opportunities, whatever can be done. So let me give you a few examples of what this could be. There is a church bridge. Simple question that you could start. Do you attend church anywhere? Okay. And that may seem a little bit threatening, but it really is a yes or no question. Like, oh, do you attend church? Nah, or I used to. Or they might even say, oh, yeah, I go to church, and they tell you what church it is. And you know, I don't know that church. Can you tell me about it? And sometimes you'll find out some interesting things about it. Uh, I want you guys to know not all churches are, I won't say created equal, existing equal right now okay right um i had someone recently uh talk to me that had joined the church and said we went to 20 churches in greenville county and as we walked throughout all these places what we found is there are a lot of churches that teach bible light and i go what do you mean he said they reference the bible but they don't teach the bible they pull in verses but they're not mean like that that's kind of what we're, we're learning right here right so i say this you could go into church, it means one thing. So you say, do you attend church anywhere? Hey, what, what was that like? Or you could even ask, did you grow up going to church? Right? What was that like? Uh, do they talk about heaven in your church? They talk about Jesus. What do they think about Jesus? What, what, does your church, what does your church teach about becoming a Christian? A lot of times I, I, I do think I'm a curious person, but in a conversation I'm going to appear a lot more curious. I love hearing about other churches. Like, tell me what your church is like. I mean, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like? Uh, is it somebody from a different faith that go, oh, so you belong to that? I've always wanted to meet somebody who's a Mormon and, and have a conversation like this. Can you tell me, give me your elevator pitch. What does it mean to be a Mormon, right? I'm not saying, oh, you're wrong. Let me tell you how you're not. I want to know from you because typically when they start sharing, it gives you opportunities. So the church bridge, start there. Do you attend church anywhere? Maybe there's the personal experience bridge that you could also do. So here's a question that you could start. Where are you in your own personal search for meaning and purpose in life, right? Like, where are you in this? Um, another way to say it is, are you happy in life right now? <laughs> Do you feel good with the trajectory, where, where you're heading? Like, how are things going for you? Typically, if people will find that you're a Christian, they may not want to go to church with you, but they do feel like, oh, good, I got somebody who will pray for me, <laughs> okay, you know? Um I have a friend who's a pastor. He's been a pastor for about 40 years. He said in all of his life, whenever he's asked an unbeliever or anybody, can I pray for you? Always the answer is yes. He said, except for one time, someone says, no, don't you dare pray for me. Okay, but most likely, that was one time in 40 years of doing this, but most times, it's when, hey, can I pray for you? What's going on in your life right now? What are you experiencing? People will be honest with you. Um, simple conversation I had, uh, we were... Um, I was with a friend, we were out to eat, and we were getting ready to, uh, waitress come and bring us the food. Hey, we're about to, we're about to eat right now, or we're about to pray over this meal. Is there anything we can pray for you about? 
right? Just a simple, they can say no, but it's like, hey, just want to let you know. And I, I found whenever I do that, when you say we're going to pray for it right away, they go by and they're just looking, right? <laughs> Are you actually praying? And uh, as I mentioned at a previous time, if you ever pray for a person, a waiter or a waitress, and if you ever leave a track, you better leave a good tip in Jesus' name, okay? Don't be giving them spiritual stuff and like leaving them uh, broke, okay? Like you want to be really good at this. So when you're asking about meaning and purpose, um, where do you, what do you think about Jesus? What do, what do you think about who he is and what he's done? What's, what's, what's your current level and just spiritual things? Do you, do you think about spiritual stuff at all? And once again, you're, you're kind of just asking the questions. And most people like if somebody seems genuinely interested in what they believe. There might be an intellectual bridge, right? A different way that some people that are more heady and they think through stuff that there might be a blockade for them. You might say, is there a specific question or concern that is hanging you up in your spiritual journey? So somebody go, man, man I'd follow Jesus, but I just don't understand this thing about resurrection of the dead. I'd follow Jesus, but you know, I, I just, man, th this thing about the Holy Spirit just kind of confuses me. All right, I'd follow Jesus, but what is, why does bad things happen to good people, right? You ever had somebody ask you that? Um, right now in the world, you, you think about some of the fires and the storms that's going on in Israel. People are searching for answers, right? And sometimes people have an intellectual hurdle. How could a good God let bad things happen, right? And so um, it may be a con an intellectual concern. Here, here's what I would encourage you to do. If someone asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, don't fake it. Don't lie. Don't make up something that might be heretical, okay? In fact, if they ask you a difficult question, I want to tell you one of the most encouraging answers that you could give. You know what? I've never thought about that. That is a great question. Would you mind if I go look through the scriptures tonight or maybe even talk to my pastor, and can I, can I call you tomorrow and give you an answer? That's a simple way, right? Now, what does that teach? What are, let me... What kind of characteristic have you just shown when you've done that? Humility, right? You know, I got everything together and I'm the blah, blah, blah. Because sometimes, y'all, I have acted like I could speak on behalf of God on a subject and I did not do that correctly, right? In fact, uh, I always think about, you remember the time where this uh, dad comes up to Jesus and said, hey, I brought my kid as demon-possessed to your disciples and they couldn't do anything with it. And Jesus looks at him like, are you kidding me? <laughs> okay, like, and Jesus has to come clean it up. Sometimes we say things that somebody else has got to come clean up afterwards. If you don't know the answer, don't give one. Just say, that's a great question. You know, I'm still learning my faith, and I don't know if I've ever looked at that. Can I get back with you? And you go and study, and you get to the scriptures. You come, call me. We can sit down and talk through that. I think that's a wonderful thing to do. Don't act, but there might be that. So you might say, hey, do you know what the Bible teaches about that? Or has anybody shared with you an answer to that? Someone recently was talking to me saying, I... I cannot, uh, I just, I can't follow a God who allows bad things to happen to good people. And I just ask the question, so what good person have you met in this world? So what do you mean? I said, if you met a truly good person, well, you know, there's people that are basically good. I said, how would you define that? And so then basically I just kept asking questions and they got to the place like, okay, well, there's nobody who's all the way good. 
all of us are sinful, but I'm just saying some people are better than others. I said, well, how do you know that they're better than others? Like, who would be the best person that's ever lived? Well, I guess it'd probably be Jesus. I mean, don't you people say that he's perfect? <laughs> You're right. And what happened to him? He did everything perfectly, and he ended up where? On the cross. So if we really think about why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, that's only had once. The only real question is why does God let anything good happen to bad people like me? That's the real question. And, and that bridges you, starts getting you to talk about the real issue, and that's the sin issue. There's the personal opinion bridge, right? I give you, uh, just in, in your personal opinion, what is a Christian, right? What do you think of when it comes to God? What do you think of when it comes to Jesus? What, is it, what do you think of when the religion or the Bible, meaning of life? Um, I talked with someone recently who said, I asked a question, so what do you think about the Bible? I think it was made by men, and it's not by God, and it was the culture at the time, and it doesn't work for today. I said, okay, cool. I said, so who then determines what's right today? Well, I mean, we all just know. I said, really? I'll know what? Well, and it was on the issue of homosexuality. This is the, the conversation, right? The Bible teaches, but that was a cultural time when it was wrong, but now it's right. I said, according to who? And what he didn't want to admit was, guess who the truth was according to? Himself. So I said, so you mean to tell me that you don't trust the Bible because it's made by man, but you trust yourself, your opinion over the last few years compared to what's held throughout cultures and centuries, you think that now you're arrived and we need to listen to you more than that? Is, 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 that, is that what we're saying here, right? But when you say, what do you think about the Bible? And they go, I believe it's a man-made book. What do you believe about Jesus? I think he was just a, a good man that, lived on the earth and taught some stuff. Okay, what do you think about God? I'm not exactly sure if he exists. Uh, I finished reading a biography on Steve Jobs recently, and uh, Steve Jobs was a Buddhist, which basically, uh, he's a guy that made all the Apple products, right? Uh, died of cancer a few years ago, probably one of the most significant inventors in world history, if you really look at all that he's done. One of the smartest men who's ever lived. Uh, uh, Buddhist, Buddhism is basically this. You can figure it out, personal enlightenment, you figure out your path, and if God helps you, that's great. If, if, if God doesn't help in your equation of figuring out meaning, just discard them all together, it doesn't really matter. You decide what's the path to enlightenment. And at the end of his life, when he is shriveled up, dying of cancer, he says, you know, I've been about 50-50 on if a God exists. I kind of hope there is one, but who knows? And then he says, it's going to be a shame if you amass all this knowledge in your lifetime and it just goes away. Wouldn't that be sad? And at the end of his life, he's wondering, like, I, I, I don't know. And so if you had the question, you'd be like, so what do you think of God? What do you think of scriptures? What do you think about the afterlife? What do you think happens when you die, right? You're asking those personal opinions. There can be the current issues bridge. The Bible is a remarkably relevant book. What would you like to, what would you like to see what it has to say about this issue so current issues um i know that people think that the bible is an old book full of antiquated answers but i'll be honest with you all the culture wars that we're going through right now scripture speaks very clearly to very clearly to um conversation i had recently with someone saying you know well paul was rough on genders and Leviticus was rough on genders, but that's why I followed Jesus. He never spoke to the whole homosexuality issue or any kind of thing about genders. I said, really? Let's look at Matthew 19 really quick. I want you to read what he said. Jesus says these words. 
Have you not read that from the beginning God made them male and female? I don't know how much clearer you can get than that, right? From the beginning, God said you were either this or you were that. And God said from the very beginning, a man will leave his father and mother and join a what? A woman, a wife. Did Jesus speak on the issue? He surely did very clearly in one recorded thing. And so a lot, and so, hey, I know you're saying that this, the Bible doesn't speak to it, but this, this isn't Paul, this isn't Moses. Like, this is Jesus, the one you say you like because he was really nice on everybody. And he just really said, like, what do you do with this, right? Like, just asking the question, not in an ugly way, but let's go. Uh, there could be simple things like a sports bridge or an, uh, somebody like, hey, did you know the name of a well-known athlete is a Christian? FCA and a lot of ministries do a great job of this. Um you know, if you go to some type of situation where these kids love football, hey, let me introduce you to, the, you know, this person who's a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I will just say the one thing that scares me about the sports bridge or the celebrity bridge, there are a lot of people who give Jesus a bad name, okay? So you got to be careful. Not all people who say that they're followers of Jesus in the, um, in, in the public sphere are actually following him. There's also the felt needs bridge. And what I mean by that is, uh, used to show how the gospel answers the deepest needs of people. Um, when people have problems, when people are ex ex uh, expressing their troubles in life, here's what I have found in my life that has been so helpful. When someone has said, I'm going through this horrible situation in my life right now, you probably don't understand it when I can say, actually, I can't understand that. Some of us in this room could speak better to someone going through a divorce because we've been through a divorce. Some of us in this room could speak better to someone who has lost a parent to death because you lost a parent to death. Some of us in this room could help someone struggling with addiction because you have struggled with addiction. I say what that gives you is a lot of times the tragic moments in our life that we wish had not been there, God actually wants to use. And so when someone goes, this is what's going on in my life, and you can say, guess what? I was there too, but let me tell you the change that Jesus has made in me. And there's your opportunity to start going in there. There is the prayer bridge. Is there something I could pray about for you? Just going down specifically and saying, hey, uh, I I'll pray for you about the situation. And if it's especially if it's a relationship with somebody that you have and you say you're going to pray, here's what I'd ask you to do. Actually pray about it. Follow up with it. Send them a message. Call them. Visit them. Hey, I prayed. How's that situation going? It makes all the difference in the world. Um, if you know a neighbor that is going to have a surgery and they're not involved in a church, do something crazy like show up at the hospital in the parking lot, be waiting for them and pray for them right there. Changes the dynamic completely. Uh, I have talked to uh, a lady that's grown up in a Muslim uh, community all of her life. She said she followed Jesus because when disaster hit her community, the people of her own faith did not come, but Christians came from the other side of the world to help out her family. And she knew there was something different. Sometimes it's just that willing to engage those spiritual needs, right? Hey, can I pray? Can I be there for you? Can I assist you? And then the relationship bridge is really simple. It might be, it sound like this. We've been friends for a while now. We've talked together about so many things. There's a very important part of my life I've never shared with you. Can I share with you about my spiritual pilgrimage? Can I share with you about my story? Can I tell you what Jesus means to me? And what I have realized, um, people love stories, don't we? In fact, if I were to say, hey, one time uh, I was 
Uh, I don't know if y'all know this. I played football when I was in high school. How many of else in here played football when I was in your high school? Okay. So if I start talking about football in high school, when I start, you know, one time we were playing our crosstown robbery and what you're thinking about, oh, I got a story too, right? Okay. As soon as I'm done, you're going to jump in. And so when you say, you can go up to somebody and say, let me tell you what the scripture teaches about your situation. But you can also say, can I tell you what Jesus means to me? Can I tell you how I used to be in the dark, but he's brought light? Can I tell you how hopeless I used to be, but he's brought such joy to my life? And people can resort to arguments, but they can't argue with results. And if Jesus has changed you, tell that story. And so what I would encourage you this week, does anybody in here have somebody that you care about that you're concerned about spiritually? I think we all do. If you have that opportunity and a normal conversation's going, you're thinking, how can I take this conversation and make a catalyst to talk about the most important one? So tonight, Father, we come before you now and we do ask that as people who you've given us opportunities and people we care about, we want to be like Philip, ready to hear your spirit's call, knowing that it may not always be exactly as uh, pronounced as the one he experienced. But Lord, if it is or if it's something not as emphatic as that, we just want to be available. And I guarantee this, that whenever we can turn any conversation uh, towards you, it's always going to be a positive one. And so, Lord, I just do pray that tonight that you would lead us from here with our eyes open up to the opportunities before us and grant us wisdom to step into it and turn normal conversations into spiritual ones and help us do it in a calm way, a peaceful way, not looking awkward, not sounding like we're just changing our persona, but, but just being present and being real with people. And may the aroma of Christ fill us as we speak. And as the, you open up those doors, may we walk through them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Entrust Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast. We hope that you take what has been entrusted to you here and give it to another.